Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, as the window nears its closure, we round up the latest transfer stories. Chelsea book their place in the Conti Cup semi-final. We'll check in with the dev squad and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. We are then team back for our second weekly dose of Cobham. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, joined today by the Athletics Chelsea expert Simon Johnson. Morning, Simon. Good morning. And Jesse Parker Humphreys is back with us too. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm all good, thank you. How are you, Matt? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about the Conti Cup quarter final later on. But first today, we're going to talk some transfer bits. So Chelsea have been ruffling feathers in the transfer market and with UEFA, it seems. All this long contract business has raised the heckles of European football's governing body. And they're set to impose a maximum five-year term for the amount of time a transfer fee can be spread over the length of the contract. So, Simon, this basically means that Chelsea can keep offering these longer deals, but they can't spread the payment of the fee over that time. Have I got that right? Yeah, I think that's the way. I mean, clubs have clearly had... A- are clearly upset about Chelsea's way of doing business and you should have listened. It's interesting that the the talk is, oh no, this is this is not just about Chelsea, it's about protecting other clubs and other clubs from doing a bit of a sofa department store kind of buy now, pay later kind of scheme. But come on, this is actually about sort of clubs trying to that they're worried about Chelsea and what they're doing. It's weird because I know there's sort of fans that are a little bit upset that when Barcelona, for example, can get away with what they've been doing, somehow there's very little said about it, very little done about it. But in a way, you know, this is this is what Chelsea are, aren't they? They 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 are the enemies of football, as 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 UEFA uh, official once said in, in the Mourinho era. And um, personally, I sort of think, well, if this is what a club wants to do, they should be allowed to do it. But Obviously, you have the best interests in the world game at heart. Disruptors, I think, is the modern modern phrase. What gets me about this, Jesse, is that I mean, the word is that Chelsea have done this because this is what Bowley, etc., do with the LA Dodgers. They give out long contracts and they're just applying the same principle. But they've already done it with Chelsea now. So aren't UEFA just stopping other clubs from copying it rather than damaging Chelsea's model? Yeah, well, I guess... I mean, one, they couldn't really retroactively do anything about it. Um, So that makes sense. But I guess the fear is that if lots of clubs start doing it, then I don't know that the FFP stuff just goes out the window. I can kind of see the logic. I do think it makes sense. And, you know, obviously with the stuff with Juventus, we've seen how, you know, these like underhand accounting practices can cause a lot of issues and, and need to be punished. I guess 
maybe you're right that <laughs> Chelsea can like be the ones sitting pretty and say, okay, well, maybe we're the ones that have got away with it. I think the concern just always feels to me is whenever you're spreading out stuff over that period amount of time, the football landscape moves so fast and the financial landscape can move so fast as well. That And Chelsea saw this, right, with what happened with Abramovich, that anything which you're just like passing along to the future, not just a couple of years in advance, you know, close to decades uh, in advance, it does make me feel, it, you know, it makes me feel a bit like, oh, and maybe it's just because like, look, all the numbers and the accounting practices that go on in big football clubs are incredibly confusing. And there are lots of people who are very good at like breaking them down and explaining them. And it's worth going to read those people. Um, but I think because they're confusing, sometimes that just makes me think, oh, it is like the buy now, pay later stuff, right? You're like, sometimes it's just best to pay up front. Yeah, true. Um, your Kieran Maguire's, your, your Matt Slater's, your, your athletics got that kind of stuff covered. Basically, let's talk about some transfer news then. Uh, I think we'd all like Simon, despite his age, for Thiago Silva to sign a seven plus one year contract. It's probably not <laughs> going to be that long. Um, but you've been reporting that Chelsea are looking to get him tied up for presumably just another year. Yeah, at least another year. Yeah, the club club been holding talks, and you know my original source was very confident about the deal. So I, I can understand why. It will look a bit confusing given where the club are going, what, what what all their signings have been, which are young players. But at the same time, Thiago Silva just doesn't doesn't look like he's deteriorating in the slightest. He's he's been Chelsea's best player this season. He's earned a new contract. He obviously loves being at Chelsea. His family, his wife, is certainly uh, fully <laughs> fully fully committed to the cause. And when you sort of think, so Baddy Shields come in, he's played two games, he's got Thiago Silva next to him. Who better to learn off and, and to sort of be moulded around and, and, and just be ushered through games? So I, I actually think this is a good deal. There's so many changes. It's a bit like what I said about Azpilicueta getting a new contract. I know, I know a lot of people retrospectively think it was a mistake, but there's been so much change at the club. I think it's good to have some some form of stability and some sort of figures that the new arrivals can can lean to. And, and you can just imagine people going up to Thiago Silva, no matter what language he's talking in or they're communicating in, and thinking, wow, this is an absolute legend. I can learn off him and the way he trains, the way he looks after his body, the way he just sort of doesn't seem to be phased in possession. So hopefully the deal will be announced soon and... and uh, and yeah, I think we'll be hearing Thiago Silva's name sung from the terraces for a while yet. Yeah, Jesse, well, we shouldn't downplay the contribution of Bell Silva's social media output to the broader Chelsea conversation. It is just about keeping Thiago Silva, right? It doesn't matter if he plays as much next year. As Simon says, that the influence that he'll be having around the place is, is kind of priceless, but also it's a joy for us to just get to watch him play for Chelsea for a bit longer. Give Bell Silver a seven-year plus one contract. That's all I say. Um, yeah, and I think Simon's totally right. It's as much about his his quality, which is consistently shown. You know, I don't think there's any doubt that this is a player who's clearly still capable of performing at, at the level that Chelsea are at. And even if there was to be some kind of sudden decline, which would feel very strange and unexpected, given how old he is already, um, the fact is that that Chelsea defence has been so chopped and changed over the past couple of seasons that you need players within it who are going to offer some kind of consistency, knowledge, experience, especially if the model is to bring younger defenders in. You know, if you kind of take out 
Thiago Silva and Asby, then you'd be looking at sort of like Rhys James as one of the most like senior members of that defence. And, you know, Rhys James is someone who's clearly a leader and is capable, but <laughs> he's not necessarily, you know, someone who's going to be able to to help players develop in the way that a Thiago Silva or an Asma Laqueta, um can do. And I think, yeah, I actually think the fact that the new ownership are so turned towards buying young, it actually makes the contracts around the older players even more important because you're not necessarily going to be looking at bringing in players who are going to automatically bring that leadership. You're you're looking at players who are who are wanting to learn and are wanting to develop. And, you know, I think that kind of continuity in, in terms of having older players there is, is really crucial. Mm. Um, Simon, in uh, the piece about Thiago Silva, Jesse mentions Rhys James there. there. There's some word on Mal Gusto from Lyon. He's the uh, reserve right back, if you like, that we've been searching for these past few months. Is he close to joining? The last I heard, no, in that there was quite a difference between the asking price and the and what was being offered. But that was before I took Wednesday off to hack my way around a golf course and have an absolute nightmare. Um, so, so yes, I haven't, I haven't been uh, checking on it since, but that's the key as always. And I think the, the problem that Chelsea have just been facing generally is that everyone knows that they're after people and are asking for ridiculous amounts. But Gusto is very much someone they like for sure. The way it's put to me was there's lots of back and forth. Was, uh, <laughs> was the way it was described. So so clearly there's a negotiation. I think I think Leon are a little bit reluctant to let him leave mid season, but you know Chelsea have found a way of getting other players to join mid season. So I, I I wouldn't say it's it's uh, it's dead by any means. I think this is an ongoing one. All right. What about Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo? And Declan Rice, so three central midfielders that, that Chelsea are linked with. Firstly, presumably none of them come this month. And secondly, it's only going to be one of these three, right? Or one such player that they're not going to buy two of those three names, for example. Well, they definitely want a minimum of one. The, the plan was always minimum of one for January stroke summer uh, midfielder. Um, and of course, price will be a factor in how many they do sign. Um, but yeah, I've kind of teed up with what I just said, really, that the asking price is, is the problem, particularly with Casado and Enzo Fernandez. Fernandez bubbled up again this week, but I was just told, look, unless, unless there's some kind of budging on the fee, it's not going to happen. And it, by the sounds of it, Benfica aren't willing to budge. So it feels very much like as you were Casado. I mean, there's talk the other day of a hundred million quid. I mean, that's mental. Um, but Arsenal, Arsenal are now coming. Sort of, it'd be quite interesting if Arsenal do reverse Midrick. It's not quite as advanced, obviously, but Chelsea sort of were definitely in for Casido, and and then suddenly Arsenal are now looking to to strengthen. Uh, Declan Rice, um, another one that Arsenal seem to be suddenly favourites for, given all the reporting that's gone on in recent recent weeks. I'm not getting the impression that perhaps that. Declan Rice is is a primary target at Chelsea anymore. I mean, he's 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 on the list, but I I think he's a few names down, um, which is perhaps why the Arsenal factor, plus the fact they're let's be honest, guaranteed Champions League football for next season, makes them quite an appealing prospect for him. That is really gutting. I'm desperate for Declan Rice to come back to Chelsea. Jesse, who would be your preference if you could only pick one of those three: Fernandez, Caicedo, Rice? I think it'd have to be Fernandez, just in terms of obviously 
experience. And I think in terms of um, having shown that he can play a real variety of roles, I think that's what's something that really stood out when for him during the World Cup. And I feel like Chelsea's midfield is obviously something that's going to have to change a lot over the next couple of seasons just by the nature of you know the ages of the players who are in it at the moment um and I think having someone who's who's able to adapt because I think also you look at you know players like Havertz and Mount and Gallagher all of whom I think are players who you're like could play in and around a midfield but maybe haven't found their their best position yet um and I think having a player who can come in and maybe be adaptable around those options is something that that stands out I think generally it's like feels a bit frustrating the the midfielder issue because if you asked me at the start of January like that would have been the one area of the pitch that you know really feels necessary to strengthen and you know I guess it's a bit like Simon says is if people know that you need to buy players and you're kind of willing to spend money and and they look at your midfield as the most obvious place you want to strengthen. That does make those things harder. But when you look at the kind of financial outlay on other players, on attackers in particular, and it's not like we don't need attackers, but uh, because of the injuries. But I just feel like to if we finish this transfer window without a new midfielder, I just feel like it will still, even with the incomings, it will feel like almost the right business didn't get done. Well, we'll see how many more incomings there are over the next week. There's been some outgoings, though. Simon, this is from uh, our friend Liam's reporting that Bashir Humphreys has joined Paderborn on loan for the rest of the season. So they play in the Zwei Bundesliga. They're doing okay, but they have lost their last four games. That's an interesting landing spot for him. Yeah, but there is a connection with a member of Thomas Tuchel's backroom staff. Um, Benjamin Weber is there. So undoubtedly, he obviously would have seen Bashir Humphreys when he was when he was at Chelsea and, and like what you saw. I'm a little bit surprised, to be honest, you know, when, you know, you, you, you've made your debut in the FA Cup tight Man City and during the second division in, in, in Germany. Uh, I might have thought that he, he could have got a, a a better move than that. But but if there is that connection, that guarantee of game time, which is always the most important thing, then, you know, that's the key, isn't it, for him to get experiences. You can go to a top flight club somewhere and, and have a, a wasted loan, as we've sort of seen with players like Billy Gilmore, for example, recently. So as long as he plays a lot, that's the most important thing. But you, you also have to sort of think, if you're Bashir Humphreys, you're looking at who the club has signed. It's very much, uh, he's going to have to have a good loan to sort of get his way back into first team contention. Mm. Uh, some more regular first-team players linked with exits. Conor Gallagher, Ruben Loftus-Cheek linked with Newcastle. Uh, Hakim Ziyech with Everton. I can't get my head around Gallagher, given that he seems to play in most of the games that Chelsea play at the moment. And Loftus-Cheek's been injured for ages. Is there anything in those? And, and why would Chelsea want to sell anybody to Newcastle at the moment when they are <laughs> essentially a rival? <laughs> um, but Gallagher... You are going to ask the question, aren't you? If you if you're a club, you are going to. You, you get the feeling that there was a section of Chelsea fans that that don't rate Conor Gallagher, uh, don't think he's good enough. But I think that he's he's a very useful asset to have in the squad. If Chelsea were to sell, he's a sellable asset. Like he would command quite a lot of money. England international, his age, etc. But I I don't get that feeling that that they are prepared to let him go. 
Um, Ruben offers cheek. It feels like every window Ruben is linked with a move away. Again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this window. I, I can see him going. At, see, he's just turned 27. That freaked me out when I saw that he turned 27. He hasn't played since November, though, has he? Surely you're not signing a player with his injury record who hasn't played for three months. Yeah, it's it's it's. But you can sort of see if someone might make an inquiry or two, but. I'm not getting that that vibe either. Look, a lot can happen in the last week. Clubs get nervy; they want to get stuff done. Ziyech, look, Ziyech. The weird thing is, Ziyech suddenly seems to be playing, but he inevitably, with the amount of attacking players Chelsea have signed, they're going to have to let people go. Um, so I'm sure if if a bid is acceptable enough, they would listen for one for Ziyech. I think he's made it pretty clear that he'd be quite happy to play elsewhere. But Everton would seem re- very very odd. He said, I'll be quite happy to play elsewhere, but not Everton, like Arno Danjuma. I mean, I know Chelsea having a, a not the greatest season, but why would you swap Chelsea for a relegation battle? And also, if you're Everton, why would, why would you sign a player that isn't renowned for getting stuck in? <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. But quality-wise, as you showed at Anfield, you know, and I, I, he did put in a good shift to use a real sort of English sort of football cliche. But yeah, that that doesn't make sense to me. But Ziyech, I think, is definitely one to watch. If Pulisic wasn't injured, uh, I suddenly talk of AC Milan, etc. But if he wasn't injured, then I think he'd be, uh, he'd definitely be a lot of talk about him possibly going this month as well. Jesse, there's no point in offloading Ziyech at this stage, is there? When Chelsea got so many injuries, unless you're going to get a, a really big offer for him you might as well keep him around as Simon says he's, he's starting every week at the moment I don't know though because I guess sometimes you look at players and you think you know there is a point to sell and I guess that's kind of true with Gallagher maybe on a more long-term basis but clearly players have been brought in who are there to replace the edge and it's a bit like why wait six months down the line when his value will presumably have I mean, I guess you could say, okay, if he plays for the next six months and looks really good, maybe you get even more for him. But he's just come off the back of a good World Cup. Um, he's playing at the moment. He look he looks good. He's fit. If you believe that Noni Madueke can like have an impact, then why not maybe look to offload if if there's the offers there? You know, Chelsea have obviously spent a huge amount of money, and clearly, as part of that, there's going to have to be some kind of outgoings at some point, and. There aren't a huge number of obviously saleable assets at the club, right? Even if you're looking at players like Jorginho or Kante, they're coming to the end of their, their deals. So I feel like if you were going to rank Chelsea players to sell and then the fees they would command, so yeah, just surely near the top. And as a result, you kind of think, well, maybe maybe this is the moment to, to cut ties loose because clearly there's not a long-term future at the club. Yeah, maybe somebody will come in with a massive bid for um, Timoe Bakayoko and that'll solve <laughs> all the problems. Um, uh, interesting, the Champions League squad. Obviously, we've got the, the tie against Dortmund coming up soon, Simon, next month. Chelsea have signed six players so far, but they can only add three more to their Champions League squad. Um, you think Badia, Achille, Joao Felix and, and Mudrick will be the, the three coming in, which I guess might mean that Fafana and or Santos might go out on loan and, and Madueke might just have to accept that he's not going to be able to play in the Champions League? Yeah, that, that sounds pretty much right. I mean, Fafana, I think he's only played featured so far anyway because of the extent of the injury problems. I think he knew the score when he joined that it was very much 
sort of long-term future potential kind of guy. He wasn't really going to be featuring too much in the first team. So that's a no-brainer. Santos is ripping it up and uh, for Brazil. But again, he's one for the future. Uh, yeah, it's Madweki is, is, is the one that will feel a little bit hard. The, what will really be complex, of course, is if they do sign this central midfielder, you know, for a lot of money, because what are you going to do then? Um, Mudrick is a, is a, obviously is a, he's been bought for big money. He's probably going to play pretty much every game from now, from now on, full stop, um, unless he gets into the red zone. Then you've got Badishil looks, looks absolutely assured it's a two games so far, but it'd be very surprising if you left him out. And Joao Felix, um, remember him. He he's not been signed on loan for a lot of money for five months to to only play in the Premier League. So, but I will be fascinated. Which one? This is one to open to the floor actually. So so who goes if you if Chelsea end up with Enzo Fernandez or Casado? I think you'd have to let Badia Chile. Off the list, wouldn't you? Really? Brutal. Wow. I mean, it, you've got to make the tough decisions, but yeah, well, it's like Jao Felix. You've not brought him in to not play the Champions League because then, <laughs> like you know, that's he's already missed three of the games that he was supposed <laughs> to play. You can't then cut at least two of the the other ones you brought him in for. Ah, uh, that is a good argument. I was going to say Joao Felix, Simon, because like that's where Chelsea have got loads of players, and as you say, Baddy Shield looks like he's kind of. Solving the defence. Well, Jesse's lack of hesitation. Just <laughs> straight in there. Get pretty Zitalor. sick of your anti Benoit Badia Shield sentiment on this podcast, Jesse. Zitalor, uh, <laughs> where's my French GCSE when you need it? Um, yes. No, I, but yeah, I understand where Jesse's coming from because, well, heaven forbid, that, that would mean Koulibaly would would get more chances, which I know Jason Cunningham in particular is really <laughs> rooting for. <laughs> yeah, can confirm. Uh, well, interesting decisions to be made on that. Anyway, we'll see what happens in the uh, the last week of the transfer window and how that affects things. Next today, though, we're going to talk about a football match. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It's going to be a foul by Spence and uh, getting on with it. Chelsea here, that's Witten Canner. That is a gorgeous ball for Kerr, and that's game over. Just a few minutes to go. No doubt about it now. Another semi final coming up. Right, in search of a non frozen pitch, Chelsea's women's team went all the way to Brisbane Road on Wednesday night, where they took on Spurs in the Conti Cup quarter final. Jesse, you were across this one. Um, some nice goals, I thought, and, and some very unsurprising goal scorers. Kerr X2, Kirby, even Drew Spence got on the score sheet later on as well. 
Yeah, it wasn't quite, I think, the Chelsea return that Beth England hoped for, seeing Drew Spence be the one to step up and score the, the 94th minute banger. Um, not that it, it really mattered because Chelsea had kind of comfortably won the game already. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting performance. I think you could tell that both teams, obviously Chelsea had had the kind of farcical, uh, six minute game on Sunday, but Spurs' game was also called off ahead of time. And I think you could tell both these teams hadn't played for 10 days. Um, particularly in the first half hour. The pitch also wasn't great. It was like they, they'd got rid of the ice, but in its place there was a large number of potholes. Um, so I think some of Chelsea's slick passing moves went a- awry through no fault of their own. But yeah, I feel like it, it professional is the way to describe this performance. I don't think this Spurs team are um, particularly threatening, even at the best of times. And kind of as soon as Chelsea went 1-0 up... Uh, sort of like half an Aaron Cuthbert goal, half a Sam Kerr sitting on the ball goal, uh, which was a bit of a strange one. Um, But as soon as that happened, it kind of felt like this game was going to be Chelsea's to win. And the introduction of Frank Herbie after 60 minutes just gave everyone, I think, a bit of an impetus to to finish off the job. And uh, yeah, got two more goals after that. So Kirby came off the bench. Other than that, it was a a pretty strong Starting eleven was that because the game on Sunday had been called off? Do you think was that a factor in in naming the team that, that Emma Hayes did? Yeah, I mean it was interesting. So it was the same team that Emma Hayes had named for Sunday, with the exception of that Lauren James came in for new trials. So I guess kind of the logic still followed through. You know that Kankovic and Perisic had been great in the the last kind of fifteen minutes against Arsenal, so they kind of deserved starts. Equally, Zatira Musovic had a really good game, so she kept her place. Um, the interesting one for, for both games was that Jess Carter came in for, for Magda Eriksson and, and you'd have thought that if that had been solely a kind of minutes management thing for Liverpool, that we'd have seen Eriksson kind of revert to her starting spot here, um, which didn't happen. I mean, it was kind of interesting. Spurs attacked that uh, left-hand side of Chelsea's defence. They They kind of put Beth England in that bit between Millie Bright and Jess Carter. And I don't know if they assumed Magda Eriksson was going to play and they kind of were looking to exploit maybe her slight lack of pace. But I feel like there there wasn't a huge amount for Jess Carter to do, but she did pretty much everything uh, fine. So that's maybe one to, to keep an eye on. Obviously with Magda Eriksson out of contract at the end of the season and kind of rumours swirling that, that she won't stay at the club. Uh, so that's Chelsea through to the semis then. The draw for that takes place later today. Uh, as we record, because Arsenal are playing Aston Villa uh, this evening, Man City and West Ham also through. Uh, Chelsea are in FA Cup action this Sunday when they'll try again to play Liverpool, this time hopefully for 90 minutes. It's a one o'clock kickoff at Kings Meadow. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, Simon's got a big piece up with the Dev Squad manager Mark Robinson on The Athletic now. Uh, Robinson was in charge of AFC Wimbledon's first team last season. He's led the Blues to the top of PL2 ahead of their game against West Ham on Friday night. Really enjoyed this, Simon. And um, Mark Robinson is, is, to me, seems the very definition of what one might call proper Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. Um, you know, it's one, one of the first things we, we, we talked about. He was very generous with his time, spent over an hour with him and his, his love of Chelsea. You're basically talking to a Chelsea fan in a really prominent Chelsea job. But normally... Um, and this is sort of no slight, but but normally sort of like if there's you talking to a coach, you know, it's very sort of all about the job. But you could tell that actually he probably would have preferred if we're just talking about his, his life as a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I've forgotten the, the coaching side of his life because, um, yeah, I mean, as I say in the piece, how he, 
how he was um all right th there's one story that didn't make the piece actually which i'll tell it now so he, he was a player he tried to uh, only an injury um ruined his career at to end his career it's at the age of 16 but he he was in fulham's academy so anyway he was he attended uh fulham v chelsea as part of the obviously with the fulham fulham sort of gear on as part of the part of the fulham family and he wanted to take his chelsea scarf and his dad was like no you can't do that oh he's captain as well he's captain <laughs> a lot for the fulham youth team so right? and his dad was going no you can't do that and he's and his mum was going, well, it's your fault. I don't know why I've done that voice. It's your, <laughs> it's your, it's your fault. You're, you're the one that, you know, sort of brought him into the chair. Anyway, so he decided to hide the, the scarf. Chelsea win the game 2-1. He went, yeah, Ron Harris. Ron Harris was in midfield. It was back end of his career. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he goes, um, the Chelsea away end, as always, kept behind for a bit. And they start, they see us as a bunch of Fulham sort of people in the cottage area. And they start, you know, obviously jeering and stuff. And he basically said, I couldn't resist. I couldn't have my my fan base sort of chanting at me. So I got my scarf out and whipped it around and started singing, we all follow the Chelsea, <laughs> which the away and then joined in. And then manager Bobby Campbell, Fulham manager, spotted him and went, Robinson <laughs> anyway and uh, much mirth ensued although I'm not sure Bobby Campbell saw the funny side at the time did he mention that in his presentation to Petr Cech and Thomas <laughs> yeah. much I love Chelsea I think he got the scarf out and whipped it round but um, but yes uh, that that just gives him it like, he can't he can't hide his love of Chelsea um, but what I found what I found so fascinating was obviously the conversation took a very serious turn about needing sort of help after to deal with the sacking with AFC Wimbledon. Absolutely gut it absolutely devastated him. He sort of said it was like like a grieving process. Because he built their academy up from the ground essentially, didn't he? He built their academy, worked for them for eighteen years, and it and it he actually was he had the chance. Um clubs were interested in him sort of about ten games into his first full season in charge. He 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 kept them up when he was appointed and then the following season they were playing great stuff and clubs were sort of already sniffing around him and he was like, Oh no, I'm not interested in leaving AFC Wimbledon, you know, this is a club that's this is a project and it's a club really close to my heart. I've fallen in love with them. And then typically it all starts going wrong. Um AFC Wimbledon sold his best striker, they didn't really replace him. And he ends up getting sacked. The anniversary was is only well, it's not even a year yet, but it's very it, clearly the wound is still fresh because it was more than a club for him. It was more than a job. It was a like I said, a club he worked for for eighteen years. He knew most of the people, so he, he said having to cope with failure was difficult. And it still comes up even now. He says, you know, like even though he's doing a wonderful job at Chelsea, it's that that seed of all. You know that that went wrong, and it keeps coming back. So he he does speak to people, which again I, I sort of having sort of sitting there, sort of just a few weeks after writing the piece about Dermot Drummy, and and sort of hammering home the point of the, it's important to talk to people. I just felt sitting in the academy building where Dermot Drummy was. It, I I just felt there was a yeah in my head. I was going, this is a connection here. Um, I'm speaking to one of Dermot's successors and, and, and thankfully Mark has sort of reached out 
off his own back and to talk to people. But without taking a sort of sombre tone, um, I did like the fact that he had to impress Tom Stuka and Petr Cech. I, I, I did sympathise with him. I said he must have been a bit nervous. And he, was, he had a week to dwell on the fact that he had to pitch to the Champions League winning manager and a Champions League winning goalkeeper. No pressure. Yeah. Luckily, it was well worth him doing that, given that they were around for about another five minutes. But never mind, he got the job <laughs> and he's doing pretty well. Uh, they're aiming for a fifth league win in a row, actually, his team, when they take on West Ham. We'll let you know how they get on on Monday's pod. Uh, the under-18s Youth Cup tie was moved from Wednesday to Thursday in the hope of beating the weather. That's tonight for us. You'll have to wait until Monday to hear how they got on away to Cambridge, round four of that competition. They also take on Spurs in the league on Saturday. Right then, like that god-awful tune played before every World Cup game implored us to do, let's get down to business, quiz-wise. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, three questions each. They're kind of loosely on the season so far. Simon, who scored the first goal at Stamford Bridge this season? I, I just, I just, I'm just going blank. I, so, was it? I'm talking men's first team, by the way. No friendlies. Was no. it Koulibaly? It was Koulibaly. Well done against Tottenham. God, look, the scary thing about that was like the moment you, I, I couldn't even remember the fixture list. <laughs> I was going, I was at Goodison Park. Anyway, yeah. I better shut up, otherwise this, this pod will go on for hours. <laughs> it was a great goal as well. Uh, Jesse, was. first up for you. Name the three players who've been sent off for Chelsea in the Premier League this season. Um, Conor Gallagher. Yes. Jean Felix. Yes. And Koulibaly. Whoa! Well done. Absolutely smashed didn't, even, didn't even draw breath. 
I'm worrying. I'm wor- that was almost Badir Shile acting from the squad at first chance I get, kind of. I wouldn't response. have been remem- able to remember that Koulibaly scored the first goal, though, so maybe red cards just stick out more for me. Well, I would have forgotten that Joao Felix was sent off. <laughs> and he happened like, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, go let's on. see if you remember this, Simon. Yeah. Which, which two players are the joint top scorers in PL2 for the under-21 team this season? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks. PL2. Right. <laughs> Gonna go. Cassidy? Incorrect. I'll give you two more guesses. Sorry, Jesse, but that's kind of standard practice with a multiple choice. Oh, dear. Um. I've got names. I've got you know. Obviously, I've got. Duh, duh, duh. What do Give I go next? Let's see if they're right. Where do I go next? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm. I'm. Well, I've now backed myself into corner. The next you one have, is vital yeah. to stay in the yeah. question. I'm uh, tempted to go Mothersill. I'm afraid I'm going to have to um, oh. hand it over. Jesse, can you get them both? Mason Burstow. Mason Burstow is one. I should have gone. Yeah. He hasn't scored that many, though. They've both got five, I can tell you that. Lewis Hall? I'm going to give you half a point for that. Is it Amari? It was Amari Hutchinson. Oh. <laughs> right, so Jesse's one and a half up. No, that was a poor performance by me. I've bloody been to the get all bloody. Thing. At, least, at least it was bloody, not another word. <laughs> You're really in Simon's head, I think, today, Jesse. Let's see if you can... Just because bad I said bad Yoshile. <laughs> just threw me. Hypothetically. Just the, it's just the, the cold-blooded nature. Uh, Jesse, this is your second official question. Yelena Kankovic has scored two WSL goals in her nascent Chelsea career. Who did they come against? Reading. Yes. And... Mm. Mm. She's played really weird. I'll just go Leicester. Right, Judge, Producer Lucy, what do we do here? Uh, uh, half a point for that as well. It's just Reading. She's just scored twice against Reading. Oh. Lucy says half a point. Simon looks absolutely incongruous at that decision. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I, I just think that was quite a... That was quite a cruel question. It was a tricksy question, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, you know, you both see. Thanks, Simon. Questions. I'm glad you're back on side with me. <laughs> no, no, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, you need this, Simon. Uh, this oh, I've, I've blown it. I'm, I'm, I'm still fuming over PLT. Yeah, go on. Well, you won't like this one. Uh, yeah. Young defender Henry Lawrence was on loan at Wimbledon last season. Who has he been borrowed by this term? <laughs> I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> Jesse's poised to steal it, I'm sure. <laughs> Boreham Wood. I mean... <laughs> it's not Boreham Wood. Would you like to steal it, Jesse? Um, Gillingham. No, there was a kind of logic to the question, kind of, because it's MK Dons. So you know, <laughs> from the old Wimbledon to MK Dons. 
You're just, um, you're just a bit cheeky today, aren't you? In a cheeky yeah, mood. I am. I just, uh, that, that's, that's just how I feel. So, Jesse, you've already won, but you can well, make I can, it a, I can steal a this. victory. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you could steal it. Terrible quiz master. I think. Part there. Uh, how many Premier League appearances has Wesley Fofana made for Chelsea? Oh, Lucy just realised she might have to do a tiebreaker. One. Simon, you can steal it. This to force us into a tiebreaker. Now the panic comes from the producer. Well, I'm just going to go two. <laughs> two is correct. Oh. We go two <laughs> he's, I think he's made four total, and but then I. The reason that it wasn't just a total guess. I he think had a stinker four... away to Zagreb in the Champions League, didn't he? That might have been his debut, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, sorry, my logic wasn't going to be right. I was thinking four <laughs> total and two of those were against Milan. So actually, yeah, it yeah, ended up being right. a lucky guess. So, anyway. <laughs> that's the main thing. So is that two, it's 2-2, two, two, isn't it? It's 2-2. Two, two. Here comes... <laughs> oh, wow. Bit. Bit bit harsh on Jesse there. To, oh, I think I, I should lose just for PL two. How can I go to PL two games and get not not the right? Uh, You're going to love this myself. one, guys. Uh, I'll say nearest wins, which probably means you're not need followers as well. When was Henry Lawrence born? So you can have a a month and a year, and we'll see who's closest. A month and a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this is no shame <laughs> it's uh, partly my fault I should have written a tiebreaker in or at least warned Lucy that today's match was likely to result in a draw who's going first me mm, yes um um I'm gonna go May 2003 Jesse. I'm going to go November 2002. Jesse gets the win today. Probably deserved. September the 21st, 2001 was the oh, actual right. answer. Oh, he's, an old, he's, he's older, older than, than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an outside chance that Henry Lawrence becomes the new Darren Barnard in terms of this. <laughs> um, but keep an eye on that one. Listener. I think I think after this I'm going to go and read his whole Wikipedia page. <laughs> Jesse, that's back to back W's for you, right? You you smashed Sam out of the park last week. Back to back defeats for me. I just <laughs> I think I'm I've I've inherited the Graham Potter uh, <laughs> era. Uh, well, well done, Jesse. Um, you are the player to beat at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Um, that's just about going to do us for today. Simon, what have you got in the plans work-wise, please? Apart from boning up on Henry Lawrence? Uh, I am uh, speaking of, you know, my my vast knowledge of youth football, uh, which I've just so adequately proved. Um, I am going to Cambridge uh, for the Youth Cup tie and I'm doing the under-21s. Not necessarily writing a piece about both, but, um, yeah, I'll just... Obviously, Chelsea aren't playing, uh, the senior team aren't playing, men's team, so I need to keep my... Uh, I might actually go find... Um, Mason Burstow and talk about how I managed to get that wrong. I'm still bemused by that because I remember writing a piece about Jude quite recently. Jude seems up Bell and and uh, yeah, sort of seeing that Burstow's lack of goals was was really surprising. So he, he must have scored a few lately. But um, if you anyway, got me for that, take that's it what with Sokoway, not me. That's where I got. Yeah, you. but um, 
But anyway, um, back to the point. Uh, obviously, transfer stuff is is still, you know, it's going to be a mad last few days and and roll on February as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, also on the Athletic, you can read Liam's profile of Noni Madueke, um Lucy chips in that Sunset Bell's got two goals this season. Uh, also, Ollie Kay has written about what might come next managerially for Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard. Head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Speaking of signing up, Jesse, how do people get your excellent Flying Geese newsletter if they want more WSL action? You can go to flyinggeese.substack.com if you want a um, hopefully occasionally humorous, always informative uh, roundup of every weekend's WSL fixtures. Beautiful pitch. Uh, right, no game this weekend for the Chelsea men's senior team. That's weird, isn't it? But as we said, there's loads of other action that we can report on on Monday and I'm sure there'll be some transfer talk as well. So join us for that if you can. But for now, from all of us, it's goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>